Hello, hello! Welcome back to Loki's Librarian. If you are new here, welcome! I am your librarian, Katrina, and this is where I am reading through the enormous library of books that you see behind me, and then I give you a quick synopsis and tell you what I think about them. So if you like books, just aren't sure what to read next, hit that subscribe button, like and share my videos, and let me know what you think in the comments. It is the last Sunday of the month, which means it's time for the next president, making this week's book of the week, Rutherford B. Hayes, Warrior and President by Ari Hugenboom. And the accompanying cocktail is called the Red Rover, which is three ounces of Shiraz red wine, one ounce of rum, and a half ounce of black raspberry liqueur. So let's do this. I don't know if this is a screw top hiding or if I actually need to uh, pull out the bottle opener. Rutherford B. Birchford Hayes, B for Birchford, was born on October 4th. 1822 to Sophia Burchard Hayes in Delaware, Ohio. His father, Rutherford Hayes Jr., had died two months before his birth and his mother never remarried. The predominant father figure in Rutherford's life was his mother's brother, Sardis Burchard. Hayes was the youngest of five children. The firstborn brother died in infancy. His older brother, Lorenzo, lived until Lorenzo was like nine, and then he died in an ice skating accident. Um, the ice broke, and he fell through the ice and drowned, which is a really tragic, sad way to die. Uh, he had also had an older sister who died in infancy, which left him, uh, which left, what's his mother's name? Sophia Burchard Hayes, to raise two children, uh, Fanny and Rutherford, a.k.a. Rudd. Now, Hayes was basically a happy kid. Uh, he eventually attended Kenyon College and decided to be a lawyer. What did I say? Three ounces? Three ounces. I am not a wine drinker, so I just went with the, you know, nifty bottling and ad campaign of the 19 crimes. I feel like Hayes himself didn't drink. Um, he wasn't against it. It's not like he was a staunch prohibitionist or anything weird like that he just that he believed in temperance and his wife didn't drink and so he didn't drink but he was a civil reformer he he was a criminal justice reformer and so i feel like he probably would have approved the brand if nothing else mm -hmm. so he decided he, he attended Kenyon college eventually decided to be a lawyer actually attended harvard law school which actually opened in 1870 and Harvard had been around a lot longer than that but they actually branched out and created a, a law school in 1817 and he was one of the first well not one of the first because he was born in 1822 but he attended that before going on to um, pass the necessary examinations to be an actual lawyer in Ohio uh, back then they didn't have a bar exam per se you were basically just questioned by a panel of learned legals and the, the learned legals could be lawyers or judges or a mix of both you answer their questions satisfactorily, you passed. And he did and became a lawyer. He actually specifically went into criminal justice law. I mean, he was a criminal attorney. In addition to the, you know, land deeds and um, bankruptcies and all of that, he, he did those too, but he was somebody that was sought out as a criminal defense attorney because he was quite good at that. Through Now, through all of this, Hayes was not all sure that he was the marrying type. I mean, he liked girls well enough and they liked him well enough. One moment, we're having technical difficulties. I honestly thought because it had been open once before, it would be a non-issue. Got the wine just fine. Guess I get my feminist card back. Gotta pull out the big guns. Gotta get the channel locks to get the open. Apparently it's the whole fucking thing. Thank you. Now, through all of this, 
you know, his college, his law school, everything else, he was not at all sure that he, he was the marrying type. I mean, Hayes liked girls well enough, and they liked him well enough, and he flirted pretty heavily with quite a few of them, but one by one, they married others, and Hayes was not one to hold a grudge at any of this, I mean, since they were generally marrying friends of his, I and mean, he was basically happy for all parties. Now, when he was about 25, his is it half ounce? Yeah, half ounce. His mother introduced him to Lucy. What was Lucy's name? Little name. Oh, didn't have one. Lucy Webb. Half ounce. Not much. And Lucy, he was 25, she was 16. And so he thought she was charming enough, but too young for him, which is a fair point. Um, and understand, even. That was actually not that big an age difference back then. If you remember John Tyler, his second wife had a significant age difference from him. But for him, for Hayes, he thought that she was maybe too young for him. And so he continued to flirt with other young girls, with, with other young girls, with other women, excuse me, and continued that for a few years. And then when he was about 28, he realized that the time he'd spent talking to Lucy was some of his happiest time and that he had fallen in love with her. So now he's 28, she's 19 not so young. And he proposes and she happily accepted. This is a shaken one. So this was another historical love match, but it was also a really good marriage. I mean, his mom didn't specifically set them up. She just thought that Lucy might make an interesting companion for her son. And she was spot on. They ended up being very much in love and were in love their entire lives. They were basically in lockstep with each other in their ambitions and dreams. And Hayes was one of those 19th century gentlemen who didn't just want a pretty wife to be silent and homebound and, you know, run the household. He was pleased that she was well-educated and able to engage in intelligent discourse. So much so that Lucy was able to influence his ideologies, like, for example, on the matter of abolition. Uh, growing up and all through college, Hayes didn't actually have strong opinions one way or the other on the matter of abolition. I mean, he believed slavery was wrong, but he also felt that it was sadly in line with the Constitution, and so what could be done about it? Lucy's family, on the other hand, were staunch abolitionists. So, so much so that her father, Dr. James Webb, who was from the South, it didn't specifically say where, uh, but he inherited 20 slaves. He uprooted the whole family and moved them to Kentucky, where the emancipation laws were very liberal. Uh, with the intention strictly to free them. So he moved all of his property up, his entire family uprooted their entire lives to go do the right thing. Now, sadly, he died shortly after landing the family in Kentucky. He, he contracted cholera, which left those 20 slaves to Lucy's mother, Maria Cook Webb. Now, Maria had three children to raise, Lucy plus her two brothers, James and John, and uh, follow, or James and Joseph, excuse me, and following the move, the family was desperately poor. And it was advised that she sell those slaves so that she would have money to raise her children. But Dr. Webb had also married well, and Maria's answer was that she would rather take in washing than earn money through slavery or the sale of slaves. So the whole family walked the walk. They didn't just talk it. They, they genuinely believed this and proved it. So she did exactly that. Um, Maria Webb, she, she freed all of them. And eventually, I mean, I don't, I don't think she remarried. It didn't say anything in there about her remarrying, but she did manage to rebound from the sorrow of her husband's death well enough to send all of her kids to college. The two boys eventually became doctors, so she did well enough. I mean, medical school back then didn't cost what it does today, but it was still not free or cheap. So with her mother as an example, Lucy was staunchly abolitionist, and she swayed Hayes to that viewpoint through discourse, all right? And 
to the point I mean, that actually set him on a lifelong reformer's path. Uh, after they married and he began practicing that criminal law, in addition to the more usual deeds and bankruptcies, he managed to define several high-profile clients, including Rosetta Armstead, who was allegedly, allegedly a runaway slave. And let me go into that allegedly. Um, her owner, Henry Dennison, had placed Rosetta in the care of a man who was traveling to Richmond, Virginia. And when the Rosetta and this man named Undisclosed, when they left the Ohio River for rail transport through Ohio, anti-slavery activists had them detained and issued a writ of habeas corpus for Rosetta. And because she was a minor, they appointed a guardian for her who was one Louis G. Van Slyke, while her owner, Henry Dennison, was called to Ohio. Now, once he reached Columbus, Dennison asked Rosetta in front of others if she wanted to return home with him or remain free. And, um, Proving that black people are not as stupid as Southern whites wanted to believe, Rosetta chose freedom. Yeah. I don't know. You can taste the wine, and I, I am not a wine drinker, so get a very strong hint of the of the blackberry, the, the chambord. The rum you can barely taste. I'm not sure if I like this one. We'll have to we'll have to keep trying that. So Denison later changed his mind. Uh, after Rosetta was gone, after he'd granted her her freedom, he tried to claim reclaim Rosetta under the provisions of the Fugitive Slave Acts, claiming that she was a runaway. Into this situation steps Hayes as representative for Rosetta Armstead. And in a packed Ohio courtroom, Hayes argued that Rosetta was free be, because the Fugitive Slave Law did not apply in her case. She had not, in fact, run away. She had been legally detained in Ohio under writ of habeas corpus when Dennison's agent brought her there. So she hadn't run away at all. She had been brought there by a legal master, sorry, if you will. And then her actual owner had verbally freed her before witnesses. So she was not a runaway. And because of that, um, following this logical breakdown, the courtroom basically exploded in applause and Rosetta was allowed to retain her freedom. And... Uh, he was not just for equal rights and matter of legality. He was all, he also employed, as in a paid wage, the freedmen who remained with Lucy's family after their manumission. So it wasn't just a, you know, well, here you're free, but I don't really want you around me, so go forth and prosper. They made sure they prospered by hiring them and paying them a living wage. And I mean, to that end, Winnie Monroe, who was with the family, I think, their whole life. I mean, she t helped wrangle the eight Hayes children as they were born and raised, although three of those children died before their second birthdays. Um, he had four sons and one daughter who lived to adulthood. Now, when the Civil War came, Hayes immediately volunteered and was made major of the Ohio 23rd, rapidly promoted to lieutenant colonel and finally colonel. And Hayes quite enjoyed the war. I mean, he thought that was the best time of his life. And no, he was not just sitting in camp and leading from the rear, you know, telling tales around the fire. He was injured like five times during the war, one of them quite severely. I mean, he almost lost his arm when he took a musket ball through like the, the arm here. So he was severely injured at one point. He had four horses shot out from under him, which means he's charging a line and the horse gets shot out from under him. So he wasn't hiding in the back. He was, he was out there in the trenches with his men leading. Thought it was the best time of his life. You know, takes all kinds. So he, he genuinely, I mean, the, the book is aptly named. He was a warrior. He, he, you know, fought legally with for rights, and he fought physically in the war and, and campaigned and crusaded for what he believed was right, which I can absolutely appreciate and get behind. He was a leader, and the friends that he made throughout his life were lifelong friends. I mean, there's exactly one that he lost, which I'll get to in a little bit. 
But I mean, there was one friend from college, uh, Brian Guy, who was from Texas. He fought for the South. They remained friends before, during, and after the war. And he never let political differences wreck his friendships, which contributed to his overall popularity. I'm just so not a wine person. I just can't tell if I like this one. In 1864, as the war is starting to wind down, although nobody at the time knew the war was winding down, his friends in Ohio put forth his name for congressman and even asked if he could get a furlough to come and campaign. And he responded, quote, an officer fit for duty who at this crisis would abandon his post to electioneer for a seat in Congress ought to be scalped. His campaign managers in Ohio realized that this was even better than if he had taken a furlough to stump in Ohio and used that statement to drive him to victory. And he handily won his congressional seat. Now, while that was going on, Hayes oversaw his one execution for desertion. Hayes genuinely disliked the death penalty. When he had been a criminal defense attorney, he had taken on several cases, getting at least one one remanded to an insane asylum, and another one was granted a new trial due to judicial misconduct. And he even walked at least one client to the gallows when his appeals failed. But in this instance, I mean, the, the guy was just criminally stupid. So a soldier named Whitlow, early in the war, had been a Confederate. He deserted the Confederate Army and joined the Ohio 23rd. And no worries there, right? It's okay to desert the other side and join the, side, the right side of history. That's totally awesome. But he then deserted the 23rd and returned to the Confederacy. He was recaptured by the 23rd in Cloyd's Mountain, but managed to escape. The dumbass then went back to Ohio and accepted payment to enlist in someone else's stead, which was entirely legal back then, by the way. The wealthy could pay someone to take their place on, on the front lines, and that person would collect the sum from the, the person paying them, as well as the enlistment bonus. But he went back to Ohio. I mean, if he had picked Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, hell, pick a state, any state other than Ohio, and he might not have been sent back to the Ohio 23rd, where he was immediately recognized tried and shot within 24 hours. I mean, it was that fast. And that's the one execution he oversaw, which he regretted, but if you're criminally stupid, I mean, come on. Even my husband, I read him that, and he was like, pick a different state, because, I mean, my God, <laughs> like 25 states at the time, pick a different one, anyone, go there, dumbass. Rant over. Following the war, Hayes jumped into politics. He did serve two terms as congressman before becoming governor of Ohio, where he also served two terms before retiring. Because like all politicians before him so far, he didn't actually retire. Um, He retired briefly, was voted in as governor again in the 1875 election, and served from his inauguration in January of 86 until he was inaugurated as president on March 2nd, 1877. Now, the book goes into greater detail on the scandalous 1876 election, which was discussed last month during the Grant book because of Grant's decision, which ultimately put Hayes in the White House over Tilden. This book does specify that both Hayes and Tilden behaved correctly. Neither was engaged in any kind of underhanded, nefarious plotting that was part and partial of the 1876 election. Both were gentlemen about it. Both sat back and let their various political mechanisms go to work. Um, as one nonpartisan observer of the time pointed out, both the re- Republicans and Democrats behaved appallingly during this election cycle, and both were guilty of fraud and corruption at a remarkable scale. Um, And then, as determined with Grant's bargain, Hayes was sworn in as the 19th President of the United States on March 2nd, 1877. Now, his intent 
when in the White House. And he, and he did say he was only going to run for one term. He had no intention of running a second term. So he had four years to stabilize the U.S. currency by returning it to the gold standard, to effect civil service reform, and to ensure equality under the law for all, as established by the Reformation Amendments, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. Now, it's like slightly tangy grape soda, I guess, or grape juice. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I don't know. So post-Civil War, inflation was bad. Probably not quite as bad as today, because back then they still had the gold standard. It just wasn't as common, but it was pretty bad. And as someone who was actually carrying a fair amount of debt himself, Hayes was actually poised to benefit from inflation, as he could have just paid off his debt with the greenbacks, which were legal tender. He pushed hard to return to the gold standard, meaning basically he wanted that gold in circulation, not held in reserve. Which, when he did push for that and got it, the economy started to actually recover. And it was in full recovery at the end of his term. Now, he had a bitch of a time enforcing the amendments in the South. I mean, he did eventually keep to the bargain that had been struck, which landed him in the White House. But by then, the fox was loose in the hen house. And the South continued to bully blacks and keep them as second-class citizens for, what, another century? You know, 80 years, something like that. Probably the biggest challenge of Hayes' one term, well, he had several, but the, the one that really struck out was the 1877 railroad strikes. And history has misremembered him as busting up these strikes. He, um, he did not. Uh, the rail lines were privately owned, and the strikes happened as a result of extremely poor management. The railroads needed to raise more revenue, and rather than raising their prices on shipping and um, uh, passenger trains they cut or, and cutting the stock dividend payout to their investors they just cut pay to their workers while insisting those workers far, work for more hours so the workers surprisingly enough to no one's surprise rioted and Hayes looked at this cluster in the railroad yards and said you fix it your mess you fix it uh, he sent troops when they had been properly requested by the governors of the individual states but he ordered the troops that their sole job was to protect government property, not to stop the strikes. The strikes are the problem of the railroad owners, and that's all he did. Is he just ensured that any government property was protected, which is fair. As a taxpayer, I would appreciate that move. Now, on civil service reform, he was basically blocked at every angle. Uh, patronage had become such a huge perk of being voted into public office that both the Senate and the Congress were like, what? You, you want to hire people on merit? What about your friends? Um, he so firmly believed in meritocracy that he declined to give his brother-in-law, Dr. Joseph Webb, a position that Webb was actually well-suited for in a government hospital because he didn't want to be accused of nepotism following his ardent speeches on civil service reform. And this is the one friendship that, that he lost as a matter of principle. Uh, Dr. Joe had been his right-hand man during the Civil War, had even saved his life when that musket ball tore through his arm. And Dr. Joe never spoke to Hayes again. He actually died while Hayes was in the White House. So he, he ruptured a, a lifelong friendship with family over his principles. So that's pretty strong there. So in keeping with his meritocratic ideals, federal positions saw the least amount of turnover during Hayes' tenancy, or tenure than any other president except for John Quincy Adams. I mean, literally, can you imagine that? I mean, I, we don't really have that now. Right? I mean, the cabinet will change, but that's, that's literally to be expected. Your cabinet's your closest advisors. But every single government position, the, the tax collectors, the, you know, revenue agents, customs house, postmasters, 
military personnel. I mean, he had to reappoint somebody to West Point at one point because of a scandal that happened there involving their first black recruit, which was horrifying. Um, Indian agents, all of these normally experience like a 100% turnover when somebody was, when they had a new person in the White House, which is we're talking thousands of positions just changed hands over the course of the hundred years the country had been in operation, except for John Quincy Adams and Rutherford B. Hayes. Those two men were like, hey, if you're doing a good job, you're fine where you're at. I'm not going to worry about it. He also believed in not just the meritocracy and civil service reform, but equal rights for all. He appointed several women as postmaster in the United States, which was seen as shocking, even though he wasn't the first to do that. So there were other female postmasters before he was the first one to appoint them and actually not care if they were Democrat or Republican, just did they do a good job, which was, you know, crazy talk back then. Because he only intended to serve the one term, he used that one term for travel, and he traveled extensively. Now, again, this was not, strictly speaking, on the taxpayer dollar. This came out of his $25,000 per year salary, which also had to be used to stock the White House and staff the White House. He did not serve alcohol at the White House, so some of the money went there from not serving alcohol to pay for this travel, which was still kept relatively low-key. I mean, he paid for himself, Lucy, and I feel like one or two cabinet members may have gone with him. But by and large, it was a fairly small party, and he paid for all of it out of his salary, not out of, you know, any sort of a special travel budget that was set aside by Congress because Congress is set to bleed Americans dry. Anyway, so his travel was all domestic. He did not leave the country, uh, but he did become the first president to travel to the West Coast. Uh, he visited California, Oregon, Nevada, Washington, all of those states all through there. On his trip back, he did have to have a military escort through parts of Apache country because the Apache, shockingly, looked at what we'd done to all the other tribes and were like, yeah, we're going to be hostile from the get-go and screw you guys. A little hard to blame him. I think even he knew that. That coupled with his autumn hair, incidentally, is where we get this week's cocktail, Red Rover. They at one point called him Rutherford the Rover because of all the traveling that he did. And when his four years were up, he gladly stepped aside for James Garfield and really did retire from politics. I mean, he never went back into public office after that. He remained very busy on several boards, though, including the Slater Board, which was a fund designed to help poverty-stricken, especially former slaves and the very poor whites, to rise up and do better. One of the fund's most well-known recipients is W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, he founded the NAACP, if you don't know who that is. Hayes believed in education as a means to better the country, which, I mean, he's not wrong, right? A, a well-educated populace is better able to defend themselves and know their rights. You'll notice that they don't teach rights in high school anymore, or even in college anymore. There's a lot they don't teach that would probably horrify Hayes. We're graduating kids who can't even read anymore, right? I mean, it's utterly absurd how fraudulent and defunct our educational system is. And there's a reason that more and more people are homeschooling. So, anyways, Lucy died on June 25th, 1889 of a stroke and Hayes was bereft. I mean, they had been married for 36 years and she was unquestionably the love of his life and his partner in all things. He kept going for a few years more, um, continuing his roles with the Slater Fund and the criminal justice reform until he passed away on January 17, 1893. I think overall he is overlooked frequently by history as many one-term presidents are because what can you do in four years? But when he left the White House, the economy was finally rebounding. We had a surplus in the treasury, which was being used to pay off the war debt. 
And while he didn't get the reform in the South that he hoped for, he did manage to veto and block several Democrat-backed bills that would have even further suppressed the voting rights of the black populace in the South. The chapter's post-presidency is, I think, where we see the kernel for the belief that the parties switched platforms. I mean, everything that Hayes stood for post-presidency are the planks upon which the modern Democratic Party stands. Um, he did not believe the extremely wealthy should be able to keep their wealth and believe in a con confiscatory inheritance tax, uh, which is ironic because he inherited a rather large house from his uncle Sardis. Um, he claimed he was not a socialist, but believed that government should have more control over everything. I mean, this, the same government that he knew was corrupt based on his attempts at civil service reform. I mean, I have no doubt he was very smart, but clearly on some issues... Everybody knows you never go full retard. Just not so much. Um... I'm trying to figure out where to rank him, and I know I need to update this on my website too. I'm currently leading towards somewhere in the middle to bottom. I mean, he had the very best intentions, seriously, and certainly seems like he was a likable guy. I mean, he, he's, I think the only reason his funeral wasn't more well attended is because a lot of his friends died before he did, but I mean, good intentions don't get the job done, right? He was very short-sighted on the matter of government control. And he adopted the motto, he serves his party who serves the country best. That's not an awesome motto, guys. That, that goes into that partisanship which has been destroying our country. Um, he probably would have been better off if he had adopted the Founding Fathers ideal of government which serves least serves best. And shrink the government. Way too big right now. Anyway, that is it for this week. If you liked what you saw, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, and I will see you guys later.